Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. With me tonight is my trusty, rusty uh, co-host, Dr. Clay Zimmerman. Clay, typically we're drinking uh, beverages uh, during The Real Science Exchange, but tonight we're having ice cream. Yes. Yeah, and that's because we are at the ice cream social after the American Dairy Science Association award ceremony so and so why we're doing this tonight is we're going to be honoring the winners of the poster contest and the oral presentation contest and to start off our first guest is latoro rastol i say that right you did pretty yeah. good that was uh, a good hard rolling I yeah almost rolled the r just yeah, a little bit yeah, yeah. yeah. okay i'm proud of you <laughs> um Latoro is, uh, he's the president of uh, the GSD. So Latoro, give us some background in terms of who are you, what are you about, um, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Scott. So I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Guelph. My advisor is Dr. Michael Steele. I work in gut health on calf, uh, trying to improve the health of those animals during the pre-winning period that we know is a very stressful period of time for the animals. So we're trying to understand how we can improve immune development on those animals and how kind of like have creative ways that we can uh, reduce incidence of disease overall. And so, yeah, I've been president of the grad student division for a year. I'm almost done right now. Um, and I want to say thank you, Parkin, for sponsoring the, well. some of these events Sorry, and then honest. yeah, showcasing some of our events. So thanks. Yeah, for that. very good. So what is GSD? What's the purpose, the history? Uh, and, and what are the benefits of GSD to uh, yeah. students? So the grad student division for ADSA, um, it's, it's run by the student members. And the idea behind it is to, to try to provide a platform for uh, professional development activities and network opportunities at the conference. And we also organize our own events during the meeting without same portals to generally stuff that are outside um, scientific uh, conversation more related specifically to professional development so we have a workshop in one of the days uh, the one that we had yesterday was on scientific communication how to improve scientific communication and how you deliver your message to your audience um, then there's another event that we have that is that career luncheon that we have a panel of people that they just finished their degrees and they just landed their first uh, job either in industry or in academia so that the students have an opportunity to see how that transition is and they have an opportunity to ask questions on how they should prepare their resume, how they should contact people and how, um, yeah, how, how they can improve their job hunting uh, to sort of find their first job. Yeah, and nice, excellent. So th we also have My Dairy Career Tool that it's a platform that we have in ADSA that they post jobs uh, in industry and in academia and the members of the organizations they can use that resource as well. Uh, well. So Latora, what was the most rewarding part of being GSD president? Yeah, I, I think it's like being on the general board and seeing behind the scenes how a meeting like this is put together and seeing the amount of work that it takes to put a meeting like this. So they start organizing the session symposia, uh, what everything's going to take place a year before. And even the venue, you have the venue contracts probably three, four years in advance. So seeing how that is put and the amount of work that it takes and all the logistics is, is great to see. And it's also really good for my professional development. And I certainly want to keep um, providing my service to this great organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how often does the board meet? once a month at the beginning and then when you're getting closer uh probably twice twice a month and then you have two meetings in person on the like right on the venue yeah yeah when you come and see uh, the convention center all the rooms and you kind of figure it out where everything's going to happen oh very nice yeah. mm -hmm. i gotta tell you we interviewed about 20 uh or so um students uh, this this week and it was amazing uh, the quality of the kids coming out of, of universities these days. You guys should be proud, but we were very impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. In front of yeah. uh, so tell us a little bit about your role, uh, Lotaro, as president and uh, how much longer will you be president and then who's going to be following in your footsteps? Yes. Yeah. So my role as a president, I'm an ex-official member of the general board of ADSA. So 
I participated in my role in the organization of the meeting. So I have to oversee our own graduate board that is composed of five other members. And each of them are in charge of organizing one specific event. And we have webinars throughout the year also on professional development. So my role is kind of oversee that board and also have a seat on the general board organizing the meeting and linking them together. And yeah. um, I'll be finishing my mandate uh, at the end of the meeting, actually. And then Luke Kean from University of Cornell uh, is going to take the president's role. Okay. Um, and it's one year's dairy foods division is the president, and then one year is uh, dairy production. Okay, very well. So now tell us about Lotaro. Uh, so what, what are you going to do um, uh, after you graduate, and what's your aspirations for the future? Yeah, yeah. So I just signed a contract with University of Wisconsin-Madison. Congratulations. Um, to start, Great school, by the way. Yes, I'm really excited yeah. about that. Um, to start a faculty position next next year there on immunology. Oh, so I'm going to continue some of my work that I've done during my PhD on calf health and immune function in calves. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Good thanks luck for, to you. Wish yeah. you the best. Thank you, guys. All right. Yeah. Hey, thanks for spending some time with us tonight. Yeah, yeah. Our next guest here at the Ice Cream Social is Dr. Corwin Nelson from the University of Florida. Uh, Corwin, when we're usually at the Real Science Exchange, we're having some beverages, and uh, tonight we're having ice cream. So I'm going to ask, what's in your dish tonight? So I got vanilla ice cream with uh, hot fudge and pecans and some whipped cream on top. Nice, wow. nice. Wow. And Clay, I didn't ask you. Um, your dish is empty. <laughs> My, almost. <laughs> it's vanilla. Okay. <laughs> and we got, we got Carrie Estes over here from Valchem. Carrie, your dish is empty as well, but what was you having? I had vanilla ice cream, caramel sauce, chocolate jimmies, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. Wow, nice. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I just went with the vanilla with the uh, the caramel. Uh, Corwin, sorry, we dispensed with all the fun. So you're the organizer of the um, the contest for the oral presentations and the posters. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself first. So I'm an associate professor at University of Florida. I've uh, been there for uh, nine years now, hard to believe. but. Uh, I work on a general area of uh, nutrition and immunology, dairy cows. Okay, very well. And can you give us an overview of the contest? You know, how did it come about? How long have they been doing it? Uh, some of those kind of things. Wow, how long have they been doing This has been a, a pretty long-standing tradition for okay. dairy science to do these contests. Um, so just a little bit of an overview. So the, when the students submit their abstracts back in February, they're able to uh, indicate whether or not they want to participate and uh, depending on their level, PhD or uh, 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 master's, uh, if they want to do a, a poster or oral competition. And this year we did something new where they could uh, present in virtually, because we did all the competitions virtually, they could uh, select whether they wanted to present in that plus in the general session. So that was something new. Um, that we did learn something from this year, just how to communicate that well is a new new thing that we had. We've judged these virtually for the last previous two years because we were virtual. Yeah. Um, so it, it and that's not working out. Yes, yes. So it was uh, judging virtually has been a, a great way to do it. You have you can sit down, go through them, talk in between. It is a great way to do them. When we did, first did this uh, two years ago, judging virtually, like, hey, this is a great way to do it. We should do this all the time. So now we'll sit back and, and once this is over and, and reevaluate. How did this go? Um, what do we need to do different? So that, that'll be something we look at going forward to next year. Yeah, good. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits for the students? Yeah, so what the students did in, in uh, presentation this year in the, the contest, they had five minutes to present their, their uh, presentation. Um, they, they uploaded a full-length presentation that everybody can go and view, so I encourage you to go view the full-length presentations. Um, you can do that through the, the ADSA website. And, but then they had five minutes to present plus three minutes of questions. So it, it, they have to boil all their research, all their hard work, into that short message there to convey their all the research and that. So it's a great, great tool for them to, to be able to get through and 
and learn how to communicate effectively that way. Yeah, very well. No, in addition to uh, being the organizer, you were also one of the judges, as was Carrie uh, Estes. So that's why we've got the two of you together. Uh, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, um, how do you go about it? So, Carrie, remind me, you did post mm -hmm. and did you do oral? I did oral. Okay. Yeah. So, Carrie, we'll start with you. How do you go about judging a poster competition? It's a little challenging. Yeah. This was my first time doing it. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, but we actually all have a judge's card that we go off of all the judges do. And I think we're judging based on four different major categories. So anywhere from how the student is uh, dressed and their enthusiasm during the presentation to the actual poster and the data, how they're interpreting the results, making sure there's no over-interpretation. Of course, like I said, the design of the poster too is pretty important. Yeah. Were there any things that uh, really stood out to you that really kind of caught your fancy? For me, it was the enthusiasm of the students okay. by far, right? That's what's so contagious and makes us excited about the research too, right? So definitely was that their level of understanding of their research and the enthusiasm. Yeah, excellent. So Carrie? For the posters, are they showing a poster on the screen or so, how do they do yeah, that? Yeah, this is a little bit different with the whole virtual thing, so uh, or the hybrid, I guess I should say. Uh, so they have a choice. They can either present their poster or they can use some slides. Um, so there were students that did both. Uh, or, you know, there were students that did slides and students that did posters, and they were both successfully done very well. So you can do it both ways. So Corwin, as a judge for the oral presentations, anything that stood out to you? Well, first let me ask, what were you looking for? So very much of the same things that Carrie mentioned there. Just uh, in this case, it'd be the quality of the slides, just how well they put everything together. Every every detail that they had you know, filled into there. And then the, just the, the presentation itself of being able to clearly express themselves, the enthusiasm that they had have, um, just the, the clarity in that. Um, so those were a lot of things. Um, scientific merit, you know, we, we look for, you know, what's the, the quality of the research that they're doing. So that's another aspect that we look for in that. And then uh, the, the ability to answer questions at the end. Um, that shows how well they really know their research. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that ability to do that, and that's what oftentimes can be a distinguishing factor. So my guess is that, and my hope is, that there's going to be a lot of students that are listening to this that are going to want to participate next year. What kind of advice would you give them if they want to participate next year, and how should they prepare for their oral presentation? Plan ahead. Okay. Uh, be sure to plan ahead. If this is something you want to do, start thinking about uh, what, what's going to be in there. Um, don't leave that abstract to the last minute. Yeah. Be sure to, to get that in, ask questions. So there's a, there's an email there for the, uh, the the committee chair. It won't be me next year, uh, it'll be somebody else. Uh, so there's an email there for that committee chair. Email them to ask questions or ADSA staff. Um, so if there's any questions, be sure to ask questions, uh, but certainly don't leave your abstract to the last minute. Yeah, very well. So I believe you can view some of the past winners online. Is that right? So some of the presentations? Yes, certainly all of this year's, all of these have uh, uploaded their full length presentation. So uh, go view them. Um, I, I'm not positive on previous years. Uh, I, I think they are. I haven't checked for okay. myself. Yeah. They, they may still be there. And Carrie, what, what advice do you have for next year's contestants? Um, I think it might depend if they're presenting virtual or not, or a hybrid. I think um, for posters especially, there's a little bit of flexibility, you know, with doing slides or doing a poster. So I would maybe encourage students not to um, stay within the black box of a poster maybe, you know, add some animations. You know, that's one thing about being in person is you're using your poster as your prop, right? Yeah. And when we're doing virtual, we kind of lose that. So maybe just use some of the technology to your advantage. Yeah. You know, one piece of advice I would have, I know that uh, uh, they, you, the, the, the GST has organized some mixers so that the students could meet some industry people. I would leverage those industry people, call them up and practice with them. Say, hey, here's my presentation, what do you think? You know, industry people are all the time creating PowerPoints, 
uh, presenting them to upper management. So uh, just an idea I have. You sound like you're volunteering. Scott. Uh, I right. would volunteer, Clay. I, I got to tell you, I love the students. <laughs> I'd be more than happy. Call me. All right. Carwin, Carrie, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Our next guest here at the Ice Cream Social is Allison Damota Santos. Um, Allison is the winner of the Masters Poster Contest. Uh, Allison, tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, first of all. I, I do consume a lot of the Balkan um, content in the form of the podcast. I actually just got my t-shirt last week. Yeah, good. And um, also the webinar series. So thank you for putting the content out there. Uh, very welcome. Um, so I'm a, I'm from originally from Brazil, Middle West region of Brazil. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in veterinary medicine from the University of Mato Grosso. So also in the Middle West region of Brazil. Um, I always had the, the dream and the interest in becoming a scientist, um, especially with focus on reproduction. Uh, I did some work back back in Brazil with um, beef cattle reproduction, and in 2014, I had the, the chance to come to America for a exchange program, and then I met Dr. Persley, who invited me to come back for for um, a master's degree, which I just recently finished, and I did we did some research on investigating conceptus attachment in lactating dairy cows. And now I'm just starting my first study of my PhD. So what, what kindled your interest in agriculture? Did you grow up on the farm? I did not, no. I grew up in a small town of, that was surrounded by, by bee farms mostly. Um, and just, I, I normally tell people that just by smelling the, the cow <laughs> in the air that got me interested in it. And also my mom was a biologist, so I got to go with her to the field and collect samples all the time. Um, so that kind of got me in interested in that. and. In high school, I did a few internships that made the decision yeah. to become a scientist in that, that uh, Excellent. Area. Yeah, glad to have you in the, indus in the yeah. industry. Thank we you. We need more good people like yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the title of your poster was Effects of GNRH as a Resynchronization Tool in Lactating Dairy Cows. Tell us what the thesis was. How did you come up with uh, that, that uh, topic? Of course, yeah. So um, in the, the dairy industry, there's a lot of... Um, not not just pressure, but a lot of interest in, in giving cows more opportunity to become pregnant as soon as possible. So that's why you have to be uh, more like dedicated and to resynchronize cows as soon as possible after their first service. So that's where our interest came into uh, light. So providing generate treatments prior to the first pregnancy diagnosis in order to set cows up for success in the um, development of the follicle. So once they're diagnosed as open, they can be bred on the following week um, if they are, they are open. So yeah, just shortening the, the interval between services, it was our main interest in that. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So, what, so what were your findings from your study? So in our study, we're comparing basically three treatments. Um, all of them included off-sync at the end, um, in, the, in the case of the control group, that only received off-sync, and we also had two treatments that had one GnRH prior to the start of off-sync, and two GnRHs, the other treatment had two GnRHs prior to the start of off-sync. Uh, the main findings um, have to do with that all the treatments were effective in inducing multiple corpus lutea, so indicating that all these treatments were effective in synchronizing cows, um, setting them up for success after off-sync. And also, we have, according to our um, more recently model, we collected daily samples of the cows starting on day 16 all the way to day 28 post-AI. We're able to measure a protein in the cow's blood that was very um, highly correlated with pregnancy. So with that protein, we can use a calculation to estimate the time that the embryo attaches to the uterus. So what, what is it that determines when, when attachment takes place? We, we can uh, use this protein to uh, put in a calculation, which is basically an increase of 12.5% from the cow's baseline. So we use the cow as her own control. And that has to be in addition to two daily increases. So two days following that first increase of that same or greater increase. So 12.5% or greater. And that would indicate that the embryo attached to the uterus at that first increase. So that's very, very... Um, 
it's 100% accurate in predicting that increase in pregnant cows. So, so when, when does that implantation typically take place? So that's, that's where the most interesting finding came to light. Um, because normally that could take place anytime between day 19 to day 25. However, um, the cows that have later time to attachment, more, more specifically the cows on day 22 or later, they're way, they're highly more likely to lose that pregnancy. So that opens up a whole new universe for, for us to figure out what's driving that later attachment and how to bring this cows to an earlier attachment. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's early embryonic death at that point. Is, uh, is that how it's counted or not? Um, yeah, we call it pregnancy loss. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, these cows that have later attachment, they're very like way more likely to lose pregnancy. Yeah. So we, we just call it pregnancy loss. Allison, you're obviously a very bright and articulate young man and got a bright future ahead of you. Give me a little idea of what your aspirations are. What are you going to do after you complete your master's degree? Um, so, yeah, I just I, I recently just graduated from a master's degree this spring okay. and I started my first study. Um, actually, this study is on hold right now because I'm at ADSA. Um, but I started my first study of my PhD. Okay. So, and after my PhD, Still I at Michigan State. Yes. Yeah, okay. With Dr. Persley. Okay. His brilliant mind, you know, yep. it, it, it caught us. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I plan on finishing my PhD with Dr. Persley and then pursuing a career in science. Okay. Their science. Okay. In academia, you're going to go into industry. Do you know yet? Um, I want to push anyway, but if you're interested in going to industry, <laughs> I, I mean, I, at this point, we'll hold a spot for you. Yeah. It's really hard to, to make that decision right now, yeah. but, um, I'm leaning towards more the academia side of it. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, there's, I, as I mentioned, there's this whole u new universe that opened up in reproduction that we got to investigate. So yeah. I kind of, I'm, I'm interested in that, yeah. but it's, as I, as I said, it's really hard to make the decision in your first semester of your PhD. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you very much for stopping by to spend some time with thank us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Our next guest is the winner of the PhD poster contest, Jackson Seminara from Cornell University. He's in the vet school there, I understand, and you're in your first year uh, of your PhD program. So welcome, glad to have you here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up in New York City. Um, Is I went, that right? Yeah, yeah. Right downtown and now you're in agriculture. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, a big change for me, but yeah. uh, I just found out that I was really interested in production science uh, when yeah. I was at Cornell for undergrad. Yeah. And uh, it kind of changed my life. And so I decided to go into that as a career. Ah, good for you. So what was your undergraduate degree? Uh, in animal science oh. uh, at Cornell, and um, I kind of bounced around through a bunch of different sort of research labs as I was going through my degree, but I ended up in the Cornell sheep program, and I know it's kind of a stretch from sheep to cows, but that really taught me uh, that I was interested in production science, and what better production science is there than that with dairy cows, so. We would agree. Yeah. <laughs> so the title of your poster was Calcium Dynamics and Associated Patterns of Milk Constituents in Early Lactation in Multiparous Holsteins. So tell us what the thesis of your uh, poster was. Okay. Um, so we were hoping to find a some sort of difference in milk constituent profiles uh, between cows that had different kinds of blood calcium dynamics. And what I mean by that is for cows at the onset of lactation, the mammary gland uh, becomes a sink for calcium. And this causes a lot of cows to become hypocalcemic at some point during early lactation, but it doesn't happen for all cows the same way. And some cows recover very nicely, but some cows do not. And we wanted to find a way to identify these cows that do not recover um, because those cows are at a greater risk of negative health events. Mm -hmm. So what are, there were four groups of cows that you, um, yeah. that you identified. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. So if you look at uh, serum total calcium concentration at day one and day four in milk, you'll find that there are about, well, there's, there's four different ways that a cow can sort of respond to the increased demand for calcium. 
and they are that the cow can remain normal calcemic uh, for the entirety of that time. They can drop into hypocalcemia at day one, but then recover by day four, and that's the transient group. The persistent group is the third group, and they become hypocalcemic at parturition and do not recover. And then the delayed group is the group that starts out normal calcemic, but then by day four has descended into hypocalcemia. And the reason those groups are important is, like I said, those two, uh, the persistent and delayed cows, they are at a much greater risk of negative health events. And interestingly enough, to identify the transient cows was also an important objective of our study because the transient cows produce a good bit more milk than any of the other groups. So, yeah. Nice. So what is FTIR? Oh, okay. Uh, so it's Fourier Transform Mid-Infrared Spectroscopic Analysis of Milk Samples. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it's definitely a mouthful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so basically the gist of it is that they shine a light, uh, an infrared light through milk samples. And there's a couple of different ways that they can do it. But basically they shine a light through the milk samples and whatever comes out the other side is sort of a spectra that they can then use to predict milk constituents from, from that data. So what, what constituents were you looking for in particular in your study? Well, we wanted to look at lactose, protein, and fat because those are sort of our standard milk components. But we were also very interested in fatty acid profiles and other things like energy-related metabolites, such as milk beta-hydroxybutyrate. And uh, we have actually a model for predicting blood non-esterified fatty acid from the milk. And so we were very curious to see what that looked like as well. So, so what were your findings? So what we found is that the cows with different milk constituent profiles, I mean, the cows with different calcium dynamics have different milk constituent profiles. And just more specifically, we found that our two healthy groups, the transient and uh, normal calcemic cows, they both have higher levels of protein in their milk, um, but the, uh, the less healthy groups have lower levels of protein but then in terms of other things like fatty acid populations, those groups cluster a little bit differently, and that allows us to identify which cows are in which group. So do you have any thoughts on why the, why the milk protein levels would be different? I'm not totally sure. I mean, I would think part of this has to be feed intake, and we didn't actually look at that, so that's got to be something that we look at going forward. Um, but there's a couple of other theories floating around in our lab, like calcium-mediated exocytosis uh, in the mammary gland epithelial cells, it, that could be related somehow. It, it's not entirely clear, but um, yeah, that is, that's kind of where we're at with that. Wow, very interesting. Do you have enough learnings to have any practical implications? Uh... Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some practical implications here. I mean, at the beginning level, we're hoping to develop an algorithm that uses this milk uh, FTIR data to predict which cows are gonna be healthy, which cows are not gonna be healthy. Um, and so that's something that you know a farmer could potentially send out to a lab and get that analysis done and find out which of their cows are gonna be healthy. But in the sort of deep future, we're thinking precision dairying might involve inline milk sensing of these constituents. And in that kind of situation, these algorithms will also be very important because it will allow us to identify cows that are sick, like without going to a lab or anything, it'll all be on farm and you won't have to touch the cows or collect a milk, I mean, a blood sample or anything like that. So it could have some value in the future as precision dairying evolves. Yeah, good, very interesting. Uh, very interesting conversation. So what's the future for Jackson? Uh, you're, I know it's just your beginning of your PH degree, but uh, where do you see yourself going? I mean, for now, I've got to finish the, uh, the DVM PhD. Yeah, it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be a grind. It's another six years, so I'm, I'm just in for the long haul. But after that, I mean, I'd love to go into academia. That's okay. kind of where I hope to see myself, but you know, industry is also an appealing option. You know, it just, yeah. it, it really depends on kind of where, where the wind takes me. Yeah. Uh, but academia is probably my first choice. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, well, thank you for joining us tonight, Jackson. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, sir. Cool. All right. Cool. Thank you.
And our next guest is Ursula Abujela from Michigan State University, and she is the winner of the Masters oral presentation. She's also got her uh, advisor here, Andreas Contreras. Thank you. In the VET program, Michigan State University. Um, Ursula, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm originally from Beirut, Lebanon. I was born and raised in Lebanon. I moved to the U.S. about seven years ago um, for my um, undergrad to Michigan State University. So I got um, my um, bachelor's degree in animal science at Michigan State. I graduated in 2020 and then immediately started uh, my graduate program in Dr. Contreras' lab. Very well. So the uh, presentation you gave, the title was Oleic Acid Limits Lipolysis and Improved Mitochondrial Function in Adipose Tissue from Periparturient Dairy Cows. Tell us about the thesis of your uh, project. Um, so this work was done in collaboration with another lab in the Animal Science Department at Michigan State. Um, for that project, uh, we wanted to look at the effects of oleic acid on the adipose tissue and more specifically lipid metabolism. Um, so we know all these benefits of oleic acid supplementation and also during the early postpartum period on cow health and production. Um, so, want, so we wanted to look more into um, like the physiology in the cow, what is happening, um, especially in the adipose tissue. So. Why oleic acid? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so during, we all know that during the postpartum period, um, the cow is in negative energy balance. And that's pretty norm normal um, because it is, she mobilizes a lot of fat to, uh, to support milk production and energy requirements. Um, so in order to improve um, energy intake and reduce this negative energy balance, one of the ways to do that is through um, fatty acid supplementation. And oleic acid has been shown to uh, improve production and also minimize that body weight and body condition score losses. So that's why we, on, in this project, we focus on oleic acid to see how it is actually um, decreasing or minimizes this body condition score loss. So what were your findings then? In this study, we infused the cows with 60 grams of oleic acid per day um, in the abomasum, um, starting from the first day after calving up until 14 days. We took adipose tissue biopsies, and um, well, my focus, what I personally did, um, I focused on uh, looking at the adipose tissue to look at um, insulin sensitivity, and we saw that oleic acid uh, improved insulin sensitivity in the tissue. It also minimizes, minimized um, lipid uh, mobilization. And we also saw that oleic acid um, improved mitochondrial function in the adipose tissue. Did you measure uh, performance of these, of the cows? Production-wise? Yeah. Yes, we did. Um, but the focus of the study was more on the um, metabolic side. Uh, so we only had 12 cows. We didn't see a production response uh, due to that. Are there, are there other fatty acids that would cause similar uh, responses or not? Or is this, is this specific to oleic acid in, in these early lactation cows? Um, we, well, not us specifically, but we've seen, there are um, evidence for uh, palmitic acid supplementation benefits also during the postpartum period. I wouldn't know specifically what would happen in the adipose tissue with palmitic acid since I, that's not the focus of my research. I haven't tested it, um, but there could be potential for other fatty acids to have similar effects. So what would... What about later in lactation? So, it, so is it the oleic acid? Is it, is it uh, affecting lipogenesis? It it is. We're seeing that it is affecting lipogenesis, promoting lipogenesis um, um, during that negative, especially during that negative energy balance. Um, and uh, there are benefits for oleic acid also later in lactation, and cows have been are have been supplemented with oleic acid later in lactation. 
Yeah, Dr. Contreras, I feel kind of bad. She's uh, done such a great job. You haven't, yeah. had, you haven't had anything to say. Uh, what can you tell us about Ursula the student? Oh, she's great. Yeah, isn't she though? I mean, yeah, she yeah. takes the, you know, this is a master's level uh, research that looks like a PhD. Yes, yeah, it's very so impressive. That's why she's going to stay in my lap and do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, is that is that your uh, your career track? You're going to go on for your PhD? That's there. my plan. Yes, um, I love the Contreras lab so much and the Colombians that I decided that I want to stay and pursue a PhD. Okay. And after that, any any ideas yet, or just kind of keeping your uh, avenues open? I do have some ideas, and actually, attending ADSA has helped me a lot, and networking and talking to a lot of. Um, professionals and industry people has opened my eye to all the different opportunities that I might have in the future. I'm leaning more towards um, industry and doing research within the industry. Um, I wouldn't see myself, or I shouldn't say that, maybe that would change, but as of right now, I just don't see myself in academia. Mm -hmm. Well, I see you wherever you want to go. You're a very oh, bright young you so lady much. and the uh, future's bright for you. So I want to thank you for coming and spending some time with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Very thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thank you. And our next winner is Thena Minella from Michigan State University. Thena uh, was a winner of the Ph.D. oral uh, competition. Dana, tell us a little bit about yourself. Very nice to be here, first of all. It's amazing to... Well, it's nice to, to have you here. Yeah, experiencing yeah. this. Um, my name is Tana Minella. I'm from Brazil, actually, southern Brazil. Small little town in the west part of my state. So if you guys get, you know, an audience from an odd city, it would probably be my <laughs> friends watching this video. So increase your um, views. Uh, and I went to vet school in Santa Maria, Federal University of Santa Maria and did an internship with Dr. Pursley to conclude my degree in vet school. And from there, it was kind of, you know, natural. We worked really well together and did my master's with him and stayed for the PhD as well. Just kept going, you know. In Brazil, we say you don't change teams that are winning, so uh -huh. we just kept going. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have your PhD yet? Have you no, that? I'm no. a second-year PhD year. student. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very well. Now, the title of your uh, presentation was Lactating Cows Inseminated Following Estrus Have Greater Early Pregnancy Losses Compared to the Double uh, Ovusync. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Tell us what the uh, thesis of that uh, research was. Yeah, so my thesis is focusing on trying to understand how pregnancy losses occur and also investigating common reproductive managements that we use on dairy farms and how they play a role into this pregnancy loss phenomena. This is not something really we get a lot of data um, that we could understand this with a good uh, baseline. So if you think about it for the past 90 years, our first pregnancy diagnosis is at around 35 days. Mm -hmm. So when you report fertility, that's the common thing, right? Like pregnancies per AI at 35 days. So we don't have a good reference before that, but we developed a model that we can start looking at pregnancies around 20, 21 days, 22, 23. So there's some variability in there as well. And that was correlated with pregnancy losses. You know, the time they have um, conceptual attachment, that's the, um, the term we utilize. So yeah, it's been a journey. It's a new model. So this is all really novel data and we are excited about it. So I have to tell you, this nutritionist learned a lot from. Yeah, I'm glad. From watching your presentation. Yes, I try to be as educational as possible. So, what is PSPB? Uh, pregnancy specific protein B. Yeah, said that a lot of times. So, what what's the significance of that? Protein? So, this protein, as it says, is specific to pregnancy and is produced by the embryo. So, it has a uh, cool migratory behavior. So it goes from the side of the embryo, migrates into the side of the mother, and fuses with the maternal cells. And when it does that, it releases proteins into the maternal circulation. And that's when we know conceptual attachment happens because these proteins only are in circulation if there's an embryo there. So 
Alison and I go to the farm every day, collect blood samples, and then we looked at daily PSPB increases, and we can know when conceptus attachment happened, and that's our new reference. And PSPB is also, it may have an endocrine function, but that's also unclear, so there's a lot of people working with that and trying to understand the function of that protein into pregnancy. So is there an on-farm test for yes, PSPB? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Or no, the ELISA? No, it's a, a lab test, sorry. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. The data collection is a lot of farm work, yeah. <laughs> and how so, long does it take the test to, to complete? Uh, usually if you can send out the samples, it would be a two days to okay. get your results. Or if you have a Tainaminella that can go to the lab, you could get the next day, you know, yeah. and do that. But what we do, we work with uh, Bioprint and we send the samples to them and they run it for us retrospectively. So we don't have our results as we are doing the study. Okay. So what were your findings comparing uh, double offsync to natural estrus? Yeah, so what we saw is that cows that are inseminated following natural estrus have greater early pregnancy losses. And that was kind of in the back of our minds when we were doing, doing this study because other studies reported that cows uh, on the double offsync program have greater fertility in comparison to cows that receive AI following estrus. So we always wonder, is it really a conception problem? So the cows are not conceiving or they're losing the pregnancy before we even detected that pregnancy. And that's kind of what we see. We see the increase in PSPB, there's an embryo there, but for some reason, the pregnancy is not maintained. So that's a question for another grad student, probably. I have two more projects, but I don't know if I'll be able to answer why those happen. So do we know what, what, what controls when implantation takes place? What do you mean? When that embryo actually mm -hmm. implants in the uterus? So, um, usually it's followed uh, by maternal recognition of pregnancy. So, before the physical communication, you need to have a chemical kind of, a text message, I like to call. Yeah. So, the embryo sends a text message to the mom and the text says interferontal, that's the, the message, mm -hmm. and says, I'm here, please don't kill the corpus luteum, I need progesterone. So. Then after that, we have attachment. So when the embryo is long enough to occupy the uterus and have the actual physical attachment to the uh, uterus, that's when we, we see the increase in PSPB. So it's kind of a timing thing, you know, as the pregnancy progresses, it just happens organically. And see how you won. You make things so easy to understand. Even a marketing guy like myself can understand <laughs> these well, nice. I'm not saying I understand it, but at least have some. You can person. picture. I can picture. It. Yes, yes that's, exactly. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Excellent job and congratulations. So thank you. Uh, you're in your PhD program, mm -hmm. and what's the plans after you graduate? So, as you guys can notice, I really like to teach, but I really like research as well. So I like to occupy a position uh, as a PI, but perhaps have some teaching uh, experience as well on that position. But then I also like extension a lot, so I'm kind of keeping my options open yeah, in that sure. regard. I think I really be just working in the dairy industry would be uh, something I really enjoy. But right after the PG, I think I also need to get away from Dr. Pursley because it's a comfort zone, right? We work well <laughs> together, yeah. but I think I got to kind of grew up and, and um, just live my own adventures and maybe change a little bit the pace. So try and change. Uh, advisors probably and do a postdoc somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Athena, mm -hmm. this has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining yeah, us no tonight. No problem. Yeah, thank you, thank guys. You. And our final guest this evening here at the Ice Cream Social is Connor McCabe. Connor is the Dairy Production Director for GSD. Connor was also involved in helping set all this up, so I've been really looking forward to this, Connor, and meeting you in person finally, right? Absolutely. We had some conversations uh, virtually, but uh, this, is, uh, this is a treat. Uh, give us a little bit of background and an overview of yourself. Sure, for, certainly, and um, we're so glad that Biochem is a partner with GSD and able to help put on this event and uplift what, what uh, the work our students are doing, and, and it's, it's thankful for partners like you and other sponsors we've had throughout this meeting that have really made it the most of of the week for for all of us here in, in Kansas City. Um, a little bit about me. I'm I'm originally from Oregon, um, West Coast, 
um, originally. Um, grew up on my family's. Uh, we had Christmas trees, pumpkin <laughs> farm, <laughs> growing up, and uh, no so you know we. Cows. No dairy cows, but my, my mom was a um, a dairy princess, so you can say oh, that wow. the uh, the the lineage started way before I was born. Um, nice. But I did I did hogs with 4-H, and then uh, had that interest in animal science, and and went to Cornell, went clear across country, west coast, east coast, um, and there's a lot more dairy cows, of course, in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and and I started gaining more more appreciation for that with Mike Van Amberg and, and Tom Overton doing research there. Went, continued on from that, did a master's degree at uh, Purdue University with uh, Jackie Borman, um, where I completed that in December 2020, working around uh, tissue mobilization and transition cows. And then I've always all along had an interest in the environment impact of, of cattle production. What is the true meaning of that? How can we reduce it? And what are some of our options out there? And so January 21, I, I started my PhD with uh, Frank Mitlerner at UC Davis um, and, and a lot of my research that I presented here this week was looking at um, what are different methane mitigation st- scenarios for California um, through 2030, and what impact does that truly have on climate given methane's, you know, strong um, impact and, and warming ability, but it is has a very short lifespan. Mm-hmm. And so understanding understanding that, and you know that that's that's what, that's what brings me here today. And but I've helped and, and glad to have served as a, a GSD um, representative and member of the, the board over the last year. So, Yeah, so speaking of that, what are the responsibilities of the dairy production director? Yes, so the, the, we, we, didn't, we didn't define our roles too much over this last year. We kind of all, all played a part in, in making this, this, this event happen and come together. Um, one, one piece I had in, in particular is, is you know, representing the interest of those grad students who are coming from the production division um, that is the larger of the two um, divisions we have here at ADSA between foods and, and production and, and coming to the, the production meetings and, and giving the grad students uh, input or, or, or report back on what we're doing. Um, but, but one of the main things I, I took part in, in this um, planning for this meeting was for fundraising pieces and, and talking to different industry groups and, and um, get acquiring funds so we could increase the networking opportunities for our students, um, help lower that cost, and, and really help them make the most of their time here in Kansas City because those relationships are, that we form right now, you know, they're going to they're gonna go real far mm-hmm. um, because uh, this, this industry is so, so very tight-knit, and we, you know, we think it's, it, it's, it's a lot of fun here coming. You know, it, we don't do all that work for, for this week, but it's... It's it's an enjoyable experience, I think, for all to to be able to to take up at least a few days outside the barn, outside the lab, <laughs> to come here to Kansas City or wherever ADSA is, and and get some and meet some of the other aspiring dairy scientists out there. So, when does your term as a dairy production director end? So that will probably be uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow is, is, okay. the, is the end I of it. See. So I am I am coming up on the end of of my uh, sun, sunset ride into as the time <laughs> as uh, production director. Okay. But um, I just found out uh, about six hours ago that uh, my time on the board will not be ending as I will be continuing on as um, ADSA GSD Vice President. Oh, nice. uh, oh, congratulations. congratulations. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you um, for this next year. And that will be continuing on to, to two year term as, as president. So you haven't seen the last of me. Uh, I'll continue <laughs> on and uh, hopefully making this, uh, this event. Uh, memorable and wanting to continue with the, that event planning for for our students next year in um ottawa and that, and that following year in west palm beach as well so yeah so, so tell us about next year what can we look forward to any anything new certainly so we're, we're we'll be going to ottawa so that's definitely i think the first time adsa has been outside the u.s in in quite a few years and so we're, we're hoping that um you know as, as people are, are getting more used to traveling um, be, be closer to the northeast, um, easier for some schools, and a little bit more difficult for others. Um, one, one event that we've, ADSA has been doing a lot of strategic planning throughout this meeting, throughout this last year, of course. I haven't been at the heart of it, but you know, I'll, I'll begin more involved. Um, but I think we really want to look and, and figure out how can we look at ADSA as you know, not, just a, not just a time of year when you come and present something or a time of year when you, you know, submit an abstract in February, but really how can we like help students build their skill set and have a way um, to build off that along with a mentoring program that we want to work with um, uh, groups such as ARPIS. Um, we partnered with this meeting to, to create a mentoring program between individuals who are mid to late career 
um, to help provide that advice, you know, because we, we're really good at the technical skills, technical side of things. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, um, those soft skill aspects, you know, making that transition from, from that grad life into that early career, you know, there's there's many things that, that we don't know. And and that would that those kind of opportunities and having those relationships, I think, would would help a lot. So that's that's something that I'm hoping to to help um, put together or, or or add a little bit to of um, what I what I would like to do in this next year, um, but I think we have a lot of opportunities and where we could go off this very successful meeting here. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's great. So, after you complete your scholastic career, what do you see yourself doing? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I certainly have a little bit more time here at, at Davis. Well, not here. I'm not. We're not in Davis. We're in, we're in the Midwest right now, but um, I have probably two or three more years still to go. Uh, mm-hmm. before before I finish up um, but given my my background in technical and looking at environmental impact of dairy what we can do to reduce set emissions um, I, I see myself in, in being um, I want to be a sustainability lead in, in a company in um, from the either agriculture side um, or the um, um, consumer uh, oriented um, side so thinking about um, how do we reduce emissions from livestock supply chains um, using science-based um, evidence-based out- outcomes so that we can really drive change um, for at the consumer level and mm. you know take things from talking about it and actually implement that from from, from some of the science and some of the research that I want to be able to take part in and I think this is this is one of the most exciting times to, mm. to be in this area right now and um, super blessed for for the opportunities that, that I've been given to me and and NDSA has super helped out um, in, in building out my network and, and getting to meet many of the individuals who are going to be right alongside me um, as I yeah. finish up that career and going into um, whatever comes next. Whatever comes next, absolutely. Exactly. Scott, I think we need to hire him. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you whatever comes next is that uh, you and, and, and the fellow students, um, that you've got a big challenge ahead of you. There's a lot of changing mm-hmm. in agriculture and a lot of people going to be counting on you. But from what I've been able to see this week, the the, the kids that we, and I shouldn't call them kids, the young adults that, yes. that we've had a, an opportunity to talk to, mm-hmm. uh, they're up to the challenge. I've, I've, been, I've been blown away. I've been mm-hmm. very impressed. Uh, That's awesome. So, uh, listen, I appreciate the opportunity. This has been a sincere pleasure, and I uh, look forward to maybe doing it next year. Yes. No, we'd love to have you back, and I'm sure, sure we can have a, a, a whole set of new faces coming across this panel next year for you. Sounds yep. good. I look forward to it. Okay. Thanks, Connor. All right. Thanks, Connor. Thank you, now. We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at balchem.com with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash realscience to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars. Mm-hmm.